How would it feel to have a thriving fitness business and have the freedom to enjoy life at the fullest? Well, that is exactly what the Trainer Revenue Multiplier Show is going to give you. My name is Matthew Park. This is Amy Filer. Hey, guys. And we are here to serve. How would it feel to have a thriving fitness business and have the freedom to enjoy life at the fullest? Well, that is exactly what the Trainer Revenue Multiplier Show is going to give you. My name is Matthew Park. This is Amy Filer. Hey, guys. And we are here to serve. Welcome aboard. Happy New Year to you all. My name is Matthew Park, our host, coach of the, the TRM show for you guys today. And I'm looking forward to having a guest. I've been looking forward to coming on our show now, my gosh, for months. Um, he came out of the blue out of an email I got. And all of a sudden, we're like, Jamie, this is the guy we want to bring to our network. Um, his name is John Briggs. He actually is the founder and owner, I guess, creator, CEO of Insight Tax and Accounting out of the US from Utah. A guy who has four kids, a guy who has a best-selling book, which I just got, by the way, John, to see, you know, um, last week over here, Profit First for Micro Gyms. And he has this theme. If you can see his shirt, oh my gosh, the shirt is so cool. The IRS sucks. <laughs> and business owners should keep more of their money so that they can build more long-term wealth because that's, of course, his philosophy, his mentality. And he's got a second book coming out here, by the way, too, guys, which you guys can hear more about on the podcast. So I'll stop talking. I just... I'm pumped to have you on the show right now, John. How's it going for you, buddy? Things are going well. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, I have a love in my heart for fitness professionals, and so happy to serve however I can. Well, it's good to have you, buddy. Obviously, you, of course, come off the holidays. You probably had you know all your four kids and your wife enjoying the holidays right now. But it's funny. We came on the, on the podcast, and you told me a tip before you even push live button. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's like an insane tip. Do you want to share that tip you just gave me a second ago? Yeah. So um, the new book I'm working on is called The 3.3 Rule. And it's based on some studies that show uh, the most amount of focus we can actually give where we're being efficient is three hours. And there, we combine that study with another one that says if you have a moment or time period of focus, then you also need a time period of unfocused so that you can recoup yourself. So the 3.3 rule is basically for every hour you work, take 30% of the time off. But we stopped, we stopped with the three because if you look at our normal workday, uh, we've actually evolved this from back in the day where Henry Ford made a massive change and frankly ticked off a bunch of the world at the time. Because at the time, people were working 70, 80-hour work weeks, 10-hour shifts, seven days a week. Wow. And he's like, hey, let's actually give people a weekend and let's have eight hour days and we've kept it since but there's no rhyme or reason why we keep it so um the, the book will be focused on like let's maximize the time with that we are working and theoretically if you do the math you don't need an eight hour day to have as much productivity if you do three hours you know take an hour off do another three hours you know, it's only seven and you've probably produced more in those six hours of focus time than you did in a normal eight-hour shift. Wow, that was phenomenal. That's the podcast now is done, guys. Have a great day. <laughs> that was awesome, John. Thank you very much. So, one thing that kind of intrigued me about when I was looking at your book is I noticed the term micro gyms. So, how do you define a micro gym? Yeah, let me start with what it isn't, 
it isn't the Globo gyms. Um, there's two models, in my opinion, and then there's maybe some little trees off of those two models. But one is I'm paying to rent the equipment of the facility. So like the Gold's gyms of the world, uh, 20 Hour Fitness, Planet Fitness, you go in, you pay a really small monthly membership fee, and you're really just renting the space and the equipment. Then mm -hmm. the other model is high touch. Let's have a, some sort of coach or fitness professional involved where you're getting direction. So yeah, of course, their equipment is provided, but really the value you're paying for is the fitness professional who's giving you like guided direction. So the micro gym is really that second model where it's high touch. Let's make sure you're getting a good experience, not just, yeah, I hope you show up. Actually, those gyms don't hope you show up uh, because if everybody who's paying the membership fees showed up, they don't have enough room for everybody. Are those gyms also, of course, more of a PT studio type gym where you got like two trainers kind of obviously in there? I'm, I'm assuming it's probably what you're talking about, correct? Yeah, exactly. A lot of personal training for sure. So the, the CrossFit gyms and, um, you know, even Orange Theory with some with the way they direct have directed coaches, F45, um, the solopreneur person who just is the person, the personal trainer. Those would all fall in the realm of micro gym. So I got to ask you, because of course you niche down to an avatar, which kind of was cool. That kind of caught my attention. So why niche down to micro gyms? Um, it actually is, is pretty personal. Um, my there's, so there's two stories. I'll start with the more um, sensitive one. My dad was a school teacher in the LA school district and he decided to retire. Um, he had me when he was fairly old <laughs> and I'm the youngest. And he decided, hey, I'm going to retire. Let's go to Missouri. Sure. California to Missouri. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I actually love Missouri. It was a great experience for me. But um, during the time period he was a school teacher, he also owned a moving gym. Or, um, sorry, moving gym. A moving business, yeah. which was like his gym. He had physical fitness and things like that. And then we got out to Missouri. He became a hobby farmer. But as he got older, the physical fitness activity in his life kind of died down mm. and unfortunately when you remove fitness from somebody's life like we did my dad or he did unintentionally he ended up passing away from being unhealthy oh. um and so i think anyone in the any fitness professional is kind of our world's version of superheroes because they literally are keeping people alive so that's that's one of the components. And the other component is I did an exercise after reading the book, The Pumpkin Plan by Mike Michalowicz, who's also the originator of the Profit First system. Yeah. And then I licensed that to write the Profit First for Micro Jim's book. Um, and his, if anyone's familiar with Mike, uh, you know this. And if you're not, I recommend buying all his books. He provides a bunch of like tools and tasks and steps that you can actually take and make the information in the book practical. So I followed his steps about how do I pumpkin plan my business? The idea being if you have these giant prize farm guys who are growing thousand pound pumpkins, how the junk are they doing that? Because they focus on the one pumpkin and they weed the rest of the crap out. Mm. Every business, even fitness professionals should be thinking about this. We did the same thing. We did the exercises and we realized, wow, at the time we had like 20 gyms, fitness professionals, and we loved working with them. Wow. And so from there, we're like, okay, let's just, let's niche down. And, uh, you know, 
Now we have 500 plus gym clients. We have more accounting or we have more fitness professionals as clients than any other accounting firm in the country, including the big four, because most gym owners wouldn't actually use the big four because they're really expensive. <laughs> now, fitness professional, are you referring to the micro gym or are you talking about even, even the independent fitness professional as well? John? Both. Both. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, that's actually quite impressive. That was what a couple of years ago you niche niche down or oh man, at this point it has been probably seven or eight years. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because yeah, it's like it's, it's it's kind of looking at your backstory. Okay, so one question I have as well, I noticed in your bio, you mentioned non-traditional accountants. I kind of caught yeah. my attention. Now, is that kind of talk more about that? Well, I'll first say uh, you will not see a normal accountant wearing a T-shirt in general, let alone one that. Some would say, you know, the word suck is an aggressive word. Yes, it is, because I think that's the type of attitude we need to have towards the IRS. <laughs> Most of them wear business casual suit ties. Um, they just also have a model where they burn people out. Their, their goal is to bring you in knowing that 2% of the people they bring in are going to follow their path and basically be workaholics. And they're going to churn and burn and just suck the life out of everyone else that works for them. So a typical accounting firm has like minimum 55 billable hours during tax season. Yeah. That's minimum. So that's if you want to keep your job, if you want to get promoted, you're working 70 to 80 hours a week. Yeah. And, yeah. and that usually happens all year, except for like a month in the middle where they say, Oh, you only have to work 30 hours this week or this month. Wow. Um, our firm, we averaged 42.6 hours a week during tax season last year. And every year our goal is to get that closer so that it's 40. Even during tax season, during our busy time, we want our team to have a life so that they, for example, have time to go to gyms and stay healthy and, you know, have a life outside of work. That's incredible. Okay. That's, so that's kind of cool. So with that being said, um, what was kind of the, I'm kind of getting into the cash flow stuff here pretty soon here, John, but yeah. what was, you know, you mentioned about like this time thing of three hours blocks, right? You also mentioned about, you know, not being burnt out, being more efficient. Like I just noticed kind of you speaking right now, your tonality and like even your structure and your mindset. It's so cool because it's so not like an account. So it's not like that traditional approach. It's so different. What, where was the shift for you in thinking like that now? Was it, was it because of Mike and the books you're reading with him or was it more of just your own realization? I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, there's, it's a great question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked that to me. There, there's probably a couple components one, I'm a religious person and I believe there's more to life than just work. Mm -hmm. And so that's always, that's an element. And I've been religious my whole life. Yeah. Um, so that's just who I am. On the other end, I did work with Deloitte, which is a big four accounting firm. Oh. Um, and this was while I was in college. And so I got to experience <laughs> firsthand how terrible their model was. And I'm just thinking through like, how do these people sleep at night with the inhumane way they're treating us? I mean, it, that uh, the phrase is golden handcuffs on purpose. I mean, it's the perfect image of like, you are literally handcuffed in order to keep that gold coming in. And, and so I just noticed this model where I'm like, you guys are, you're, you're saying we're rewarded one way, but in reality, the only thing that matters to you is that we sell our soul for you. And, at the time, I'm, you know, as a single person, you don't think about it, but really I, I want to, I wanted to have a family. I wanted a spouse. I wanted someone I could share my life with. I wanted children. And 
those people deserve time out of our lives if we're making those commitments. And it can't happen if we are constantly working in our business. And I just think long term, we are all happier if we have a better, and I don't want to say balance because the idea of work-life balance is a fallacy, mm -hmm. but balance, we need to have all of these things in our life because they all contribute to our level of happiness. And if any one of them is too much, yeah. that's when we get in the risk of burnout. We make bad decisions and those bad decisions could be things that actually affect your marriage. It could be things that affect your business, affects your business, affects your livelihood. Um, I mean, there's, there's no doubt like, you know, the way our society has moved over the last decade, suicide rates, for example, I have yeah. skyrocketed. And yeah. um, I think a lot of that's coming down to people are just burnt out. They don't know what to do. That's so true. You know, I always see your family, man. You got four kids, right? Yes. Oldest is how, how old is your oldest? Just turned 15. And your youngest? She'll turn nine next month. So yes, you, you got your hands completely full, man. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Incredible. So let's kind of move over, if we could, to some tactical stuff now for our coaches and trainers out there. So I, I, I could talk to you probably, John, for the next three hours, just so you know. This is kind of, I got to kind of sum it down in a half an hour here. Um, but, you know, with my, with, I guess, with a couple of things from your book I've been reading here, and the first I'm going to use is, let me go back to my notes here, is removing temptation. Tell me more about that. The five things you talked about there. Well, I'll, I'll have to start with um, when it comes to the cash flow model profit first, the first thing to understand is Parkinson's law. Because um, what happens is, so Parkinson's law states, the demand for something will expand to match the supply. Mm -hmm. The demand for something expands to match the supply. So think about your bank account as a giant pile of supply. The demand to want to spend that money will continue to increase until you no longer have money in your bank account. Mm. It is human nature. It is how we are wired. Mm. So as business owners, we need to create a false reality that we have less money to spend than we really do. Mm. Because if we don't, we're going to just keep spending the money. So with profit first, we recommend, it's kind of like the envelope system. Um, but we use bank accounts and each bank account will have a specific purpose. Set aside money out of your operating account into those so that now when I look at my operating account, that is the number that I can healthily spend to keep my business open. The remove temptation portion comes in because a couple of the other accounts that we want to save for, which is really important. I know this fitness professionals, micro gym owners are the most I, they're the worst at this. They are so willing to fall on the sword because there's a charitable component of what they do in their business. You're literally saving lives. You're keeping people healthier. They're able to play with their kids more. Like every, right? All the good things that happen for being healthy happen. And so, oh, well, if they can't pay me this month, and sometimes we don't feel right that we're actually charging for something that blesses their life so much, right? Yeah. But the main message of my book is that micro gym owners deserve to be profitable. They deserve it. That's the first step I actually want them to acknowledge is like, you deserve this. You don't need to feel guilty that you're being paid to save people's lives. Hmm. Doctors don't have a problem with it. Why do you? Hmm. Right. So that's so okay. So we want to make sure gym owners pay themselves. So we have an owner's pay bucket. Because if they don't pay themselves as the most important employee in the business, they are 
increasing the risk of burnout. Mm-hmm. Burnout leads to closed businesses. Closed businesses result in scenarios where like my father lost his physical activity and died. Mm-hmm. Like this is a life and death situation. You close your business, your members, a good percentage of them, and especially the ones who need you the most are not going to go find another gym. They liked the comfort of what you had going on and they don't, they just don't have it in them. I just know this statistically. Yeah. Okay. So pay yourself first because we don't want any of that bad stuff to happen. Yeah. Profit distributions. We never look at the fact that we are taking risk that no one else in our company is. And that risk is called ownership. So you have equity, mm. but in wall street and the investment world, those guys get returns on investment. So we build that into the model so that once a quarter, the money you put into this profit account, you're going to take it and distribute it to yourself for the risk you took for being the owner. And then, and sorry, and the the third one is tax. You're going to be more profitable with the model. And while we know the IRS sucks and we want people to get pay the least amount possible, you will pay some tax. That profit account and that tax account are going to accumulate a sizable amount of money Mm. over the course of the year. That's the temptation that becomes a reality for many business owners. Interestingly enough, not as big of an issue with fitness professionals and micro gym owners. Um, So we throw out the suggestion, if you are tempted by that balance to then basically steal from yourself to keep bad business expenses going which is what happens. We say, let's remove that from your viewpoint yeah. and actually put it in a totally separate bank account where you can't see the balance when you log in to pay bills. So one thing I want to ask you too, is this is the investing question. Cause you know, people, whether they're trainers or not always ask, well, when do I start investing? And you know, I, I want to hear you've been in this game for decades, John. And is there a threshold when you, when your profit accounts growing, is there a threshold when that profit account, you know, you make sense to start investing, whatever it's going to be? Because I find a lot of trainers in the industry are so excited to go, let's start invest now. And I'm like, wait, your business hasn't even grown enough yet. So I'd love to hear your, your take on that. I think it depends on what they're investing. I think from an investment standpoint, like there's the natural outreach of I have a gym business that's growing and mm-hmm. thriving. Mm-hmm. What can I invest in that makes that like vertical as we call it, it of services better so that's where like buying your own physical space instead of leasing it from somebody becomes an investment but it's also completely tied to your gym Got and it. your fitness activities right the other one is on the personal side um i think on the personal side everybody should be investing something all the time regardless of where they're at because Parkinson's law, while it works for our business, it also applies to us individually. Yeah. If I'm only putting money, the money I pay myself goes into my one personal account. I will find a way to spend that. Yeah. So instead, let's take a percentage of that. Even if you can only afford 1%, let's put aside 1% into something that's an investment. Even in something as simple as buying whatever that amount is of the S&P 500. Got it. Uh you know, if you're into 401ks, putting money into your 401k or IRAs, if you're into that stuff. And if I, we have lots of clients who aren't into that and that's totally great. No judgment. Um, so they look at alternative investments, but the point is, um, the reason Warren Buffett, which we all are familiar with his name was so successful is he's most attributed to living the law of 
dollar cost averaging, mm. which is this idea of, I don't care where the market's at. I don't care if I'm buying high or buying low. I'm, I'm going to put the same dollar amount into the investment, knowing that mm. as it goes up and it goes down, I'm committed to the same dollar amount and I will benefit from that because sometimes I am buying low and it'll go up and sometimes I'm buying high, but it doesn't mean it can't go higher. And so you just, it's about the commitment and consistency of setting aside some percentage of your income, because at some point, look, you are going to want to retire and it'd be nice to have something to retire instead of feeling like you're forced to work. Yeah. Um, we all have met those people who are forced to work. They're not actually that enjoyable to deal with. So we don't want to become those people. I love it. Next question for you, John, it goes around your key performance indicators. And you mentioned in your book about two things, lag, let me look at the note here, lagging in and leading indicators, right? Uh -huh. So uh, can you give us some indications on specifically what lagging indicators are important and which leading ones are important to be measuring on both spectrums? Yeah. So um, just so we are clear, a lagging indicator is something where if I look at the number, it's telling me something that happened in the past. Mm -hmm. A leading indicator is a number I could look at, and it's not, they're not always numbers, but a performance indicator I can look at that helps me predict the future. So um, like one of the really great leading indicators we like is average attend or sorry, attendance in the last two weeks. Okay. If I have a member who has not attended in the last two weeks, that's a leading indicator that they are potentially going to cancel in the future. Okay. So I want to go out of my way and make phone calls and text messages, um, some sort of personal touch. Be like, hey, Bob, what's going on, man? I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Really missed you. You know, let him know that he is welcome and wanted in the community. Um, so that's a leading indicator. A lagging one would be something like rent. Yep. Uh, Rent is one of the two biggest expenses fitness industry, you know, micro gyms or fitness professionals have. Uh, the second one is team, if you have team. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure that rent expense is no more than 25% of my revenue, but 15% is healthier. Mm. Like really, we want to be around the 15% or less mark. Mm. And if I'm looking, it's like I look at this month and the percentage of my rent is now 50%. Mm. That's a lagging indicator, but I can still make decisions to say, okay, because my rent expense likely didn't change unless you have a really bad landlord. And unfortunately, I see gym owners not consult with attorneys before they signed signed oh. their landlord agreement. So they get stuck in really bad deals. And sometimes it does increase just for the hell of it. Um, usually it means my revenue dropped. Like why did my revenue drop? So the lagging indicator of rent expense jumping up as a percentage of my revenue, I can now go back and say, what happened? Was mm -hmm. there a class that I didn't do? Did I do a short-term thing and now it ended and I forgot to add the next short-term thing? And now I know I don't, I can't afford to have a break between specialty classes or things like that. I mean, the sky's the limit. Gotcha. So we shift gears for a second and go towards a fitness coach who doesn't have a gym. Or a studio, but maybe for example, he's rented a gym or something like that, or is online, mainly online. What principles would you suggest to those coaches to watch out for on a cash flow or perspective there? Yeah, the first one is tax. So the profit first cash flow system 
is a framework. And depending on your scenario, it can be adapted to your specific scenario. Hmm. So you're not going to have as high of operating expenses as a solo shop um, because maybe you're, maybe you're doing it out of your garage. Um, maybe you worked at a deal where it's like really inexpensive floor space that you're using for your clients. Um, but you are going to have taxable income. So at a minimum, we don't want people to get to April when their tax bill is due and be like, how the crap am I going to pay this? Let's set aside money like twice a month, once a month. The system we recommend is twice a month, um, no more than once a week. And just take a small percentage because you won't feel that, you won't miss it. But then by the end of the year, your tax person will say like, hey, man, you had a good year. You owe $10,000 in taxes. You're going to look at your tax account and see $15,000 in there. And you're like, whoa, I already have it. And that means I have $5,000 extra. Um, so I recommend they at a minimum set aside tax. Mm. Other than that, um, I don't have any strong recommendations as far as managing their cash. I think um, sitting down at least once a month and looking at your expenses that are directly related to your business mm -hmm. and asking yourself, does this help me get clients or does it help me keep clients? Mm. It's one of those two things and I probably want to keep it. If I can't answer those questions in the affirmative, it's probably an expense I don't need. And so why keep it? I love that. So what would you say are the big differences between, you know, one of your clients you have right now and your 500, 500 clients in there that take one of your clients that are very successful, does very well profitably and so forth. What are they typically doing? compared to the ones that, you know, of course are just making it not get, of course it's, it's a pretty spread here. I'm kind of curious if you can distinguish the difference here between the two people, you know? Um, it, some, it kind of as simple as they're literally taking the time to look at their cash. Got it. Like I get it. And I get this because I owned a gym for three years and I did it to understand fitness professionals. I didn't do it because I have the makeup and DNA of being passionate the way you know, the fitness professionals and, you know, personal trainers do. Um, I was not a good gym owner. I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, the only reason my gym story works out is because the guy who bought it from me used the profit first system. And because of the system, he had the cash to buy my gym. Um, we had, we, I suck at marketing <laughs> uh, the gym and stuff. So it didn't work out. Um, anyway, so it really comes down to, taking the time and investing the time to actually look at the cash flow stuff where you look, I get, you're not accountants. So you didn't go into the gym business to do accounting. Yeah. And even if you have an outsourced accountant, you're still responsible for the financials and you're mm -hmm. certainly responsible for the cash flow. And so you want to make sure we recommend the book system is the 10th and the 25th. So on the 10th, sit down. And as you do this more, I'm, it's five, it takes me five minutes. Five minutes on the 10th, five minutes on the 25th. I'm analyzing my cash. Mm. And it's just, it's a good system so that I can make sure I'm not at, I'm not keeping bad expenses. I'm putting the money in the different spots so that I don't fall prey to Parkinson's law. But honestly, the difference between those healthy gyms and the ones are not, or the, they're taking the time. It's not size of business. I have, I have seen gym clients who are doing, you know, 500,000 to a million dollars in revenue 
with no in, net income. And I have others who are doing 250,000 and they have a hundred grand of net income. Wow. It, it, the size of your gym or the clientele is not the factor. It's really, am, am I investing an hour a month spread out at least over two periods to at least look at my cash flow and manage it? So of course it's probably more like a meeting, like a PL meeting, correct? Every month you're um, that John or it's, it's actually not quite, it's not as accounting. It, it's really more, I'm just going to sit down and looking at my cash flow. I have, you create percentages. So you see the income that was deposited and mm. you've decided maybe with the help and guidance of a profit first professional and says, okay, I'm going to put 25% into my owner's pay bucket, 10% of my tax. So it's really just sitting down and like looking at it in that regard, let your accountant handle creating the profit and loss statement. Certainly you could look at the PL. I mean, I like to look at it by month to look at trends, but the bread and butter of the system is sitting down and just looking at, is all this cash that's flowing healthy? Got it. Is it a healthy amount coming in? Was it an unhealthy amount going out? What was the unhealthy thing? I shouldn't have bought that pegboard because it doesn't actually add revenue to my business, you know, things like that. So you, do you take clients primarily only in the U.S. then? Uh, we have bookkeeping and profit first clients that are international, okay. but we do only do tax for us. Got it. So of course we have clients worldwide though, correct? Yeah. Got it. Okay. I'll be talking to you afterwards then. <laughs> Don't go anywhere John, after this, after this meeting. <laughs> I love that. So any last thoughts or words? Actually, do we have time for one more question, John? Yeah, go for it. Cool. There's actually a question that you actually asked in your notes that actually kind of caught my attention and is what are the simple tips for business owners who feel overwhelmed with their financial situation, like what are things they should be doing when they're overwhelmed? What are the things that they should be keeping in mind? So overwhelm usually only happens when we are looking too far out. We're seeing the giant elephant, right? That's the cliche. Yeah. That's too big. I, I don't know how I'm going to eat that thing. It's impossible. I can't get there. I've never managed my cash before. I'm never going to do this. To avoid overwhelm and the financial tip is you have to take this in digestible things, which is why we recommend the system being twice a month or once a week at most, instead of I wait 12 months and then I sit down and I take an entire weekend or three weeks to get all my stuff together. And that's what I'm left with is that feeling of, oh, this was forever and I don't understand what's going on. But if I'm doing it little by little, like honestly, your your audience understands this better than other gym, than other business owners, because it's the same with fitness. I can't mm -hmm. dedicate two days and work out 48 hours straight and say, I'm good for the year. It's the consistency of showing up and doing, a, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. It's the little consecutive things that mm. make it so. And, that, and it's the same deal. Like if I want to lose 100 pounds, I'm not losing 100 pounds in two days. I'm only going to lose it over focusing on, I'm not thinking about the 100 pounds. I'm thinking about, am I going to work out for an hour today? So instead of thinking about, I don't know how I'm going to get my cash flow in order or if I'm bleeding or feeling overwhelmed, I don't know how it's going to happen. Well, right. stop. Don't think about it. Just say, uh, I'm going to do this for 30 minutes twice a month. Oh, that's a great idea, man. Okay. Wow. You get my mind kind of going here. So guys, before you guys head off here, I want to remind everybody about his book because, you know, as I mentioned, we could talk to John here for the next couple of hours and probably go through all the nitty gritty of all his tactics, but his book, seriously, guys, it is full of gems. Um, this one over here, guys, check on Amazon. And uh, as I'm kind of going through the first couple of chat, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's just probably two minute interviews actually in here, John, that we should be doing here this year. But uh, with that being said, where can they find you, John? 
Uh, so insighttax.com is our main website. We have a free blog. Um, if you're looking for tax tips, we got a ton of that. And then, of course, you go to profitfirstformicrogyms.com. There's some additional information specifically about the book content there. If people want to inquire about working with your firm, how can they do that? Yeah, so we have a contact us page on insighttax.com. That's the most efficient way. Love that. Well, John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, man. I'm telling you, this has been great. Thanks for having me, Matthew. The IRS sucks. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended, guys. <laughs> Thanks, John. Much appreciate that, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Train Revenue Multiplier show. If you love today's episode, head on over to Train Revenue Multiplier on the iTunes and Spotify and subscribe to the show today. Take a screenshot with your phone of this episode and share on your social media and let us know any questions you may have, things you enjoyed about the show or things you want to see more of coming down the pipeline and tag us at Train Revenue Multiplier on your social media. And if you are looking for more real money making, business building things to help you grow to the next level in your business, have your more income and have you working smarter and harder in your business, then head on over to trmshow.com to book your free 30-minute business building call today. We look forward to hearing from you, serving you, and of course, delivering more impact for your business. Have a great day. Take care. Let's keep growing.